What he did to me was, God, took that money that I thought I had, and it was like he just kept kicking me in the balls, even though I wasn't talking to him or seeing him or having any type of convert, you know, every single day that I looked at my dog, looked at my little sapphire, and I knew there was nothing I could do to get her out of her pain and the uncomfortable uh, situation that she was in. Felt like I failed her, and it was just a kick in the balls every single time I came home from work and I saw her again, losing more and more of her mobility and stuff. I don't usually like to get people in trouble. I'm not a cop caller or anything like that. I don't know if somebody calls the cops on me. I hate them for the rest of my life. <laughs> but what he did to me is deserving of my speaking up and getting law enforcement involved and everything. Uh, if he's going to do this to me, he's going to do it to anybody else. He has no remorse. No. He doesn't have any humanity. And if, I, if I'm the reason or part of the reason that he's let out of uh, Congress in a pair of silver bracelets, <laughs> I'm going to be a proud SOB. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast and... Yeah, you, you might be like, this looks different. We're in studio. We're back at Gotham Podcast Studio, or at least I myself, I am Ian Scotto. Chris is doing his speaking engagements, um, but they've moved locations, so everything looks different. I originally went to the old location, and then I walked here. And in studio with me, very important guy, Richard Ostoff, Navy veteran, disabled Navy veteran. And I actually, for the past month, since I spoke to you a month ago, I've kind of teased out this interview because anybody, I think locally, knows about your story slightly. Like even when I worked, walked in here to the, to the studio, I mentioned it. And people are like, oh, I heard that story. But I don't think people have heard it from the very beginning. So I really appreciate you coming in and doing this. No problem. Thanks for having me in. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that would actually be a good place to start. I mean, people do know, of course, what happened with you, the $3,000 from George Santos. And I, I always feel like I have to stand here, like, allegedly stealing $3,000. You haven't gone to court, but it's like you have the text messages to back up everything. You have the receipts, as they say. But I'd love to get into, like, how you came up in, as a kid in New Jersey, what inspired you to join the Navy, because we love getting to the backstory of that yeah. stuff. Uh, well, my father served in Vietnam, um, and uh, he was on leave at one point. Uh, I think it was during 1971, uh, and he, he went to Sydney for, I guess, a week's worth of leave. And he met my mother over there. My mother's an Aussie citizen, and uh, 
a couple of years later, they were married, and I was the result of that. Uh, <laughs> my, my grandfather was also in the Army. He was a career Army guy. He was like a command sergeant major, I think, when he uh, re- retired from the reserves. So it was in my blood. Uh, I used to always run around out in the woods when I was a little kid with camouflage on, spying on the other kids and stuff with binoculars. And so I always wanted to be in the military. Uh, and I got out of high school. Uh, I was working for Six Flags Great Adventure for four years, I think, um, in the warehouse. And it was just same grind every day. Uh, I was smoking too much pot and I figured I needed some discipline in my life and it was about time to join. Um, so my father, you know, he, he worked up in North Jersey and he had a lot of recruiters that he knew from the VFW that he hung out with and stuff. And he kind of forbid me to join the army and the Marines because he's like, ah, you know, I don't want to hear you complaining about being dirty and crawling around in the mud <laughs> and stuff like that. So, uh, he talked to uh, a recruiter up in Woodbridge or Island, New Jersey, and it was a, a Navy recruiter. He was a chief. I can't remember his name. Uh, it was 20 something years ago, yeah. but, um, yeah, he got the ball rolling for me and, uh. That, that was the only branch. Navy was the only branch that would guarantee me that they would train me to be an electronics technician. So that was, And that's, that's what you aspired to that's do. That's what I wanted to do. I used to pull apart electronics and stuff when I was a kid. Um, I got into, I think when I was 16 years old, audio amplifiers for cars. And I was buying them broken. People would fry them, hooked up too many speakers to them and stuff. So I would buy them cheap and I'd fix them again. You know, I'd go to Radio Shack, buy all the resistors and capacitors I needed, and I would build them back up. So I was already really good at soldering and all that. Nice. Um, so when they told me, hey, yeah, we can we can guarantee you that you'll be an aviation electronics technician. And uh, they're like, sure, you don't want to be a nuke? I was like, I don't want to be on a sub. No, 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 no. Uh, tight spaces. I like to be outside. Um, so I went into boot camp in May of... 98. Um, that was fun. <laughs> uh, you have like good stories? Yeah. Boot camp was fun and it also sucked at the same time, you know, it was like anything. I mean, it was probably the most proud moment of my life when I graduated from there. Um, I even had a ghost story from boot camp. Uh, we had a service week uh, where we all worked in the galley, uh, my whole division, my brother division. And I was the galley yeoman. Um so I had to take care of everybody's medical things, uh, just ba- basic welfare for all the other guys that were in my uh, division. And it happened to also be the week that they had a Navy-wide galley um, inspection. Uh, so we weren't, we weren't wearing our usual uniforms. We were wearing our dungaree pants, and they gave us T-shirts to wear every day. And uh, the T-shirts had to be washed every single day. They didn't want stains when the inspectors and stuff came in. Yeah. So me and one other guy, we were down in the basement of the old galley in uh, Great Lakes, Illinois, and we, we got away with sleeping. Oh my God, you only get two to three hours of sleep sometimes a night in boot camp. And we were down there all by ourselves in this basement with one washer and one dryer. And he'd sleep for two hours, and I'd kick him if somebody came down the door. And I'd sleep for two hours, and he'd kick me. But every time we were awake, separately from one another, we start seeing shadow people running around through the halls, and so it was freaky. Do you but, believe you saw actual ghosts, or you, you, I think you don't just know what the explanation is? A lack of sleep. I mean, yeah, just yeah. not getting sleep deprivation. Oh, I, when I got everybody. out of boot camp, I slept for three straight days. Wow! I, I didn't even get up to go to the galley. I was that tired. Uh, and that's the only thing that really I hated the most about boot camp was just being so tired all the time, falling asleep on the next guy in front of you in the chow line. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I did that. Went to boot camp, and then they shipped me off to uh, Pensacola, Florida, for my A school, my aviation electronics tech school i was there a year i think at least um went to my first command after that uh in new orleans vfa 204 river rattlers i was an f-18 squadron we mostly had f-18 alpha plus models uh, it was the 
electronic suite that they had inside of them. Um, I was with them for almost five years. Uh, I was in that command when 9-11 happened. Um, I was actually a collateral duty police officer. And that morning, uh, we were going to the range to, to train up uh, a bunch of the uh, reservists that we had coming in. Um, and we're sitting in the ready room drinking coffee, just, you know, shooting a shit. And that was when we found out, you know, oh, a helicopter hit the World Trade Center. We didn't know anything happened. We all went down to the range, which was like 20 miles away. And then they, as soon as we got there, turn around and go back. Did you, because I remember where I was on 9-11 and I was, I was younger than you. So I was in high school, but it's so weird how the world has changed and that. I don't know if it was like this for you, like terrorism didn't even enter my mind. It was like, oh, was it a drunk pilot or something? Like, did, were you of that mindset of like t Middle East terrorism or not when we were sitting in the ready room waiting to hit the road to go to the, the driving or the driving range, the, uh, the, the pistol range, yeah. um, I had no idea really until we turned around and went all the way back to the base what was going on. I mean, it was, we were listening to the radio, but I had Howard Stern on. I was just laughing the yeah. whole time. And, uh, Which we'll get into that connection later. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just listening to Howard on the way here. We could talk about that, but yeah. And uh, yeah, so so that was when, yeah, everybody's world changed. I, I, I mean, Howard was kind of early in that like – he was he was, he was live, live on, on air, air and yeah. reporting exactly what went on. They play it back and, on Sirius every September 11th too. Yeah, and like you hear the anger, you hear the passion, and, and some and the of confusion. It, yeah, exactly. And and listening to it now, some of it it might sound like a little misguided or something, but well, we were picking up the information as it came in. Exactly, piecemeal. exactly. So it was very real. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm sure at that point, did, I mean, did it hit your mind of okay, I'm going to be going to Iraq or Afghanistan? Or, yeah, I, I I was actually scheduled for a regular rotation to the USS. Nimitz uh, on the 18th, and we were supposed to be pulling out of uh, Norfolk on the 20th. And that was just uh, to, to move it from one home port to another. Uh, we were supposed to be taking it from Norfolk, where it had a, a, a major rework. Uh, re I think it was in, in dry dock for like three or four years at that time. And it was going to San Diego to become part of the uh, Pacific Fleet. So we pulled out out of port nine days after September 11th. And we were all sure we were going over there. Uh, we're on the boat, the, the multi-billion dollar boat, and it's got an aircraft on top of it. We're probably going to be the first ones over. And a few days out, they told us, stand by. Um, and we floated around outside of Brazil for weeks, just do doing circles, waiting for orders. And then I think they wound up uh, ordering the Roosevelt instead of us. Okay. So we got to continue on. But man, what a nerve-wracking couple of weeks that was, thinking we were going to be going over there. The Master Chief was already talking to me because I was a collateral duty police officer, whether or not I was going to be on, the on shore working with prisoners or something like that. I was crapping my pants about it you know i mean i signed up to be an electronics tech not a, yeah. you know. but because of that were you the type of guy because we have so many veterans on this show who served in combat and like a lot of them are like yeah this is what i joined for i'm gonna be going over the middle east or gonna be fighting terrorists like for you being in electronics was that what you wanted to do that was what i wanted to do yeah i wanted as to be an electronics or you wanted to be you want to be overseas in a war zone when I was a kid, I think I wanted to be G.I. Joe and be over there yeah. with a gun in my hands and stuff. But I got – I hit my 20s. I got a little smarter than that. But <laughs> I would not have um, been averse to, the, to, to, to them sending me in there to do something. I mean I raised my, hand, my right hand and I swore an oath that I still uphold to this day. Sure. Um, I'm not in uniform anymore and I'm still speaking out about this crooked politician guy. Yeah. So I, I, I swore an oath to the people of this country and to uh, – uphold the constitution and i'll do that until my late my dying breath um 
forget what I was getting at. No, I, but, well, I was going to ask. So you, when you say that, you did serve in combat or you didn't serve? No, in no, I was never actually in combat. I don't have a combat action ribbon or anything. So, and I know that you're a disabled vet. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I injured my uh, discs in my back. I have hearing loss, uh, bad PTSD, and uh, uh, bipolar disorder with. I think ADHD and I got the whole salad, <laughs> um, which I mean, just speaking to you, it's, it must be, I don't know if you're on it, but like under control because you seem like completely stable individual. I'm on but. Prozac now and I've been on sure. it for probably the last seven or eight years. I'd been on Zoloft, uh, the last thing, two years I was in the Navy, um, I, was, I had some really bad depression. I mean, it, it pops up, I guess, in your early to mid-20s, too. That's about when you first start getting diagnosed with that stuff. So I've been on Prozac. Uh, they, they, the Navy actually first put me on Zoloft. And one t- day in, like, 2009, 2010, after I had finally come back to New Jersey, I just crashed. It wasn't working anymore. Um, I was out walking my dog at Mammoth Battlefield uh, one, one morning, and I just started crying for absolutely no apparent reason whatsoever. And then two seconds later, I was laughing, but the tears were still coming out of my eyes. And... A couple months after that, maybe a couple weeks after that, um, I checked myself into the VA hospital in East Orange, New Jersey, uh, for two weeks into the psychiatric clinic just to stabilize myself and get some meds that worked. Um, and they, they they got me on the Prozac. The Prozac took maybe a week, week and a half to start working where I stopped thinking about hurting myself anymore. Um, I didn't just want to have a permanent nap. Uh but they were trying also to get some mood stabilizers into me and unsuccessful with every single one of them. They either gave me strange, like nervous twitches and stuff like that yeah one of them made me bleed every time i'd blow my nose i'd start bleeding and stuff so we we're just on the prozac now and the prozac definitely keeps me keeps me safe was it something in the military that that you think drove uh, mental health issues it's extremely stressful um granted i wasn't in combat or anything but it's still a very very stressful work environment um just the things you have to do from day to day and that, that's sitting out there on the Nimitz for two or three weeks, just floating around in circles. That was some scary stuff, you know. I might not be cut out to be a Marine, but, you know, I still, I, <laughs> I, 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 I do, I, I was very, 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 very nervous. Yeah. And I think that stress, just the stress of boot camp, I still have nightmares about boot camp, about being caught sleeping or something like that. I still wake up. I fall asleep on the bus or the train. I wake up with a snap, like, oh, my God, I'm about to get, cycled i'm gonna be doing push-ups for this and then i realize i'm 47 <laughs> years old and that was years and years and years ago but uh, it's, it seems like getting on the right medication all the, for you was a positive thing because i've you know there's been veterans on the show that have been like i should never have been prescribed that i should have stuck to healthy natural remedies and i'm glad to be off that stuff but then there's also people like you who are like i need to be on this i'm not my best when i'm not on this and everybody's kind of individual i was suicidal yeah for a long time um I only did seven years in the Navy. I wanted to do 30. And it was mostly because of my medical stuff. And I I, I was really a heavy drinker at that point, too. So I, I got in a little bit of trouble and stuff. And they were like, look, you're going to keep getting in trouble. You're seeing too many doctors and stuff. We're sending you home. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I was distraught. 
Yeah. I felt like I lost my best friend, my mom and dad. My Your purpose. I, yeah. I didn't know what the hell to do. And I was already suffering through de depression and stuff at that point. Uh, I think I was out. I got out in uh, 2005. I was out in Whidbey Island in Washington State. And thank God that was a place where my, my dad lived about 70 miles from the base. So I got to I got some family support uh, while I was going through all that junk. Um, and I hadn't really stabilized yet. And I was still, he, my dad told me that I was reckless, that I was going to get in a car accident. I was going to fall off a mountain somewhere because I had a Jeep and I had four by four and all through the snow, all the, 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 the logging roads and stuff through Washington. And I flipped my Jeep a couple of times, buried it in the snow, had to wait three, four months one time to be able to tow it out of there. It was so much snow. Uh, and I just didn't care about living anymore. So I got a dog. Um, I can't even remember the exact details about it. I was going to a veterans uh, group meeting every week. And one of the guys in there knew somebody from Texas who was, um, I think it was called like Vets for Pets or Pets for Vets or something like that. And they got me a dog. And when I got that dog, it was like a miracle. Um, I've always had dogs in my life, but having my own dog for the first time uh, gave me something to care about besides myself. Sure. Um, so instead of doing all the dumb stuff, trying to fall off of mountain roads and stuff, I would take her out hiking. I'd take her fishing with me, just cuddle up with her, lay her let her lay in bed. And snug. I mean, if I had any nasty thoughts come into my head about hurting myself or anything, I would think about the dog, my, my, my little sapphire. Nobody's going to take care of her as well as I am. And what type of dog was it? She was a pit mix. That's cool. And she might have been full pit. I don't know. They told me she was a rescue from a puppy mill somewhere. And that's probably like the perfect dog for a guy who's who's a vet who's seeing some stuff to have a little a, a, muscular little yeah yeah. yeah and and there there are all these like negative stereotypes of pit bulls but like I some of the nicest dogs I've ever met have been pit bulls or yeah Rottweilers those type of dogs it's it's all about the owner exactly you have an asshole on one end of the leash there's definitely yeah. going to be an asshole on the other <laughs> end of the leash so. Uh, and you know what I wanted to ask you? We'll, we'll expand on this. But is, was your call sign Ozzy? Because I know you have like Ozzians, I figured. Every, my la last name's Ostoff. So yeah, yeah. They, they started calling me Oz and Ozzy and stuff because I guess the T and the H are hard to pronounce or something like that. <laughs> but were you also like you were we were before we were recording, you were talking about like concerts you've seen in ACDC. I was like, are you, you know, is that like a metalhead thing? Like, no, Ozzie not really. Or, okay. it was just, that was what they started calling me. It just worked. It was around the same time that. Um, what was that movie? Uh, American Pie. American Pie was going to say. And one yeah. guy was called Ozzy or something yeah. like that in there too. So I guess it just fit at the at the time. That's cool. All right. So getting into the dog story. Mm -hmm. So because this gets into the gist of what we're going to talk about today. So what happened from there? Your dog needed surgery, right? And also you were just down on your luck in general. And and I don't know if you want to get into that. Well, that's part of the story. So yeah, um, I, I moved back to New Jersey in 2009. Um I, I just wasn't going anywhere. It was so hard to find work out there, up in the mountains and out in rural uh, uh, Whatcom County, Washington. Um, a beautiful place to live. Uh, I'd go back there in a heartbeat if I could find a job. It was just you got mountains over here, rivers over there. And I'm a big fisherman and a hunter and stuff, so it was flowing in my blood, the, the, the love for the place. Thank God my dad still lives out there because that gives me reason to go back sometime. Um, but I came back in October of 2009. Um, my mother and her husband were getting ready to move to Florida, do the whole retirement thing and stuff. So I stayed with them for six months, I, I, I suppose, and then moved in with my brother. He had just bought a house at that time. Well, Irish brothers, <laughs> uh, yeah, we that didn't last too long. Um, so I wound up moving in with a neighbor, an elderly gentleman. Um, his name was Alex. I love him to death. I don't even know if he's still alive anymore because after we got evicted, we, we 
I think he moved in with his sister up in Boston area somewhere. Um, and how do you meet that guy? He lived two doors down from my brother. Okay. And actually one of the guys I used to work with in Six Flags when I was a teenager uh, knew him, used to hang out and he would drink at his house every night and they shoot the shit and watch TV and stuff. Um, and he pretty much told me, he was like, yeah, this guy, the one that lives right down the road from you, he needs a roommate, you know, uh, you need somebody to keep him, you know, occupied and to, you know, he needs a friend and he could probably use the extra couple of bucks every month. So I moved in with, with him. It, it was, the house was really embarrassing. It was in bad shape. It hadn't been cleaned in years and years and years, but it was a place to go. And I got along with the guy, um, and he needed help and I was willing to help him and I needed, you know, a roof over my head. Uh, so I was, I was there for four, four and a half years, I want to say. Um, and I was working with a guy doing, um, we were installing emergency backup generators. This was right after Sandy. So we were going down Long Branch, Belmar, all the short towns in Jersey, installing these, uh, generators for these like multi-million dollar mansions and stuff. These people. So that would be a few years later then. That, Cause I'm just thinking just 2009. Yeah. And Sandy was probably, I'd have to look right. Like 2012. About. Yeah. Yeah. 20, 2012. I think it was yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so I had been installing these generators and I was also, I had another job with another guy, but, um, I left that to, to, to do the generator thing. I was going to another, uh, meeting with, with veterans, um, with PTSD, uh, anger management type of, uh, meeting and Ocean Ride, uh, the, the the local county bus service, uh, used to come to pick me up every Wednesday to take me to my meeting in, in Brick Township. And I walked outside, normal day as any other, uh, with my coffee in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And I slipped on a little patch of ice in the driveway, slipped maybe about six inches, and then my foot hit the, the blacktop again. My foot stopped moving, but the rest of me kept going. It just cracked, snapped, popped, and I broke it in like 14, 15 different places. It just shattered. I, I knew right then when I fell on my butt into the snow, I was like, crap, <laughs> I just lost everything. I can't work. Uh, I wasn't even 70% disabled through VA at that point. I was only getting maybe about $800 a month. So I knew right then and there, the rent's not getting paid. The bills aren't getting paid. I'm screwed. What can I do? I work in construction. I've got a broken leg. I can't even, I can't stand up. And I, it, So I had four surgeries to reconstruct my ankle over the next year. Um, I had one to pull a couple of pins out after they didn't need them anymore. And in that time, I couldn't work. Every time I had another surgery, I was down for another three or four months. And uh, eventually, the landlord just had it. And they put us through the eviction court. And this was in February of 2015. 2015, 2000, 2016 it was. Okay. So uh, I was in a tent living on the side of Route 9 in March, cold as hell out there. People might wonder too, though, when you say like your dad was nearby to where you were at, you know, when you were stationed, like, did you have family who was willing to help you out or? Uh, well, I didn't really have too much family that was left in New Jersey at that point. My brother was here, but I told you before, we were sort of fighting a little bit and okay. stuff. Um, my mother is living in Florida and my dad lives out in Washington and I'm sometimes, I'm too proud to ask people for help sometimes. You know, and you I think figured, they would, do you think they would have? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, trying to get me into a house and stuff, that's, that costs a lot of money. You know, I, I can't ask somebody for thousands of bucks. It just, it, it's not something that's in my nature. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to feel uncomfortable taking Christmas and birthday presents and stuff. Yeah. It, you didn't have to buy this for me. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sort of like that too. Yeah. No, I know <laughs> it, what you it mean. It makes me feel strange. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, 
so oh so, so yeah so i was i was there i was too proud to beg uh at least family members and stuff anyway yeah uh, and, and, and before we even got into the tent, before we were evicted, the dog had a little tiny bump growing on her rib cage. I brought her into the vet before I even broke my leg. And they were like, look, it's not big enough to risk uh, anesthesia. Put her through that. She's nine years old already. If it gets much bigger, we'll consider taking it out of there. But, uh, you know, when I got evicted and stuff, I just lost a train of thought. Lost everything. I lost. I didn't have any money. Um so I watched it in the tent, growing and growing and growing, getting bigger by the day. Uh, and the vet was like almost right across the street. So I brought her back. And the vet was going out of business. He was about to retire. He didn't want to take payments you know, over time. So he said, look, I can do this for 3000 bucks, but you have to pay me up front. I think I was, I think I had tears in my eyes and stuff. I, it was devastating. I was like, how am I? So one of the uh, veterinary technicians that worked in the place, um, really sweet lady um she told me that she knows a man who does uh veterinary and um like animal rescue charities and that he's well connected uh he knows a lot of people a lot of people know him and he does this like on a daily basis raises money on gofundme for for for, for people to help them out and uh she said do you want me to help you want me to ask him if he'll help you i said sure i could use it you know yeah. any help and i'm at the vet the vet tech is telling me this she shows me a couple of the other things that he had up on on facebook about some other animals it looked 100 percent, you know on the boards and uh i think we got about 900 dollars in the first week it just started flowing in i had a lot of my old navy shipmates and stuff were donating 50 bucks 100 bucks 200 bucks a piece and and it's like you could have set that up on your own I right? without this yeah, guy. But I, I, I only had a cell phone at that point, and it wasn't even really a smartphone. Sure. So, and, you, and you figure, yeah, this guy is going to help me out. Yeah, Which, figured, by the way, what, was, his, was his name George Santos at the time? His name was Anthony DeVolder. Yeah, because I remember hearing, because this guy's had so many different aliases. Which Four is, or five at least so yeah, far. Like, sure sign of a criminal. Mm -hmm. Zabrowski. And uh, his roommate actually said that he used that name Zabrowski when he would do his GoFundMes because he lives in Long Island and there's a lot of Jews in Long Island. And if you're a Jew, Jews will donate more. And he said he was Jew yeah. Jewish when he ran. <laughs> yeah, so no, going from there, though, because I, I definitely want to get into the whole thing. So, yeah, you're, you have hundreds of dollars coming in, which turns into thousands, right? Turned into thousands. Uh, and we had a goal of $3,000 set. Which would have just yeah, been enough to do what you needed to do. We brought it right in and had it done. And what, it was cancer? Or what was it? It was a fatty cyst called a lipoma. Okay. We thought it was cancer at first, but it turned out to be a, a thing called a lipoma, L-I-P-O-M-A, I think. Uh, but it had a lot of veins in it and stuff. And they said if they if they didn't do it the right way, she might bleed out. Okay. Um, so we were, uh, well, the $3,000 came in. I had actually moved out of the tent and I was living with an old friend, uh, in his basement for a couple of weeks when the money finally had come in. Um, and he just kept stonewalling me when it came through. He didn't want me to see my vet anymore. The, the one that quoted the $3,000. He said, well, you know, if it costs any more than 3,000, if it goes over because she's on the table for longer, I have a working relationship with this veterinarian office, and uh, we can work out any extra money, you know. And I think he was all just BSing me to just keep stringing me along. And I sure. really think that he enjoyed the stringing me along crap. And he was was he on the phone with you or these emails? Or? Most of them were emails at first. Uh, I had a little bit of a falling out with the vet tech. Um, 
so I, I decided I was going to go one-on-one with him. She was acting as the middleman for the first few months this was going on. I never even spoke to him, never sent him a text message or anything. So I finally got his phone number from her, and uh, we started texting. We spoke two, three times on the phone, I think, and two of the times were just arguing back and forth. Now I'm just wondering, by by any chance, I man, I don't know if you would know, do you think the vet tech might have been like in on something with him, or you think she had no idea what was going on? I don't want to get into her situation too awful much. Sure. Um, I have a feeling that he had been scamming her too. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, that, we don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I mean, with your situation, we do because you have the text messages. So, okay, so you started arguing with him over what? Uh, I was getting really, really just upset and frustrated about everything. Uh, he wanted me to go to Long Island to his vet. I don't drive. How am I supposed to get up to, 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 to Long Island? Uh, so the vet tech brought me and Sapphire up to this uh, veterinarian in Long Island or Queens or whatever it was. And before we left, Santos, DeVolder at the time, said that he was going to uh, reimburse me for the ride up there for the gas, tolls, and food. And he wanted my routing number and my bank account number. I don't know. I can't believe I actually gave it to him now that I'm looking back on all this stuff. Uh, but I waited. I waited. It was a couple hundred bucks going up there. Um, I filled up her tank, and she had a big it was a Jeep with a big tank and stuff. And, I mean, it wasn't like I... I had a place that I was living at the time, so it wasn't like I was destitute. So, so you were fixed. You you fixed that situation of living. Temporarily. Okay. Temporarily. I went back out on the street after a few months after uh, my dog had passed away um, because I got a new dog and the guy I was living with was abusing the hell out of her. Oh, wow. While I was at work and stuff. Uh, so I went back into a tent with the new dog for a little while. I'd rather live in a tent with my dog than have somebody picking on her. Yeah, and, you yeah know. of course. So back to yeah, what was going on there with uh, the original with Sapphire? Right. So, so we so we went up to to do the thing in Long Island. Came back, money never came into my account like he said he was going to. So I, I approached him about that. I'm like, look, man, I need this cash. I don't make much money. I, I'm working in a deli and I get like eight hundred dollars a month from uh, VA. And he just kept stringing me along and stringing me along and stringing me along. And it seems now that he was enjoying the whole thing. He he enjoyed like hurting somebody. Um, like it was tickling some sick little nerve in the back of his head somewhere. And it, it was, I think he was getting aroused over, <laughs> you know, hurting another human being. Yeah. So I finally just got completely fed up with him. And I told him, I was like, you're, you're, you're mining my friends and my family and my dog for money for yourself. And he told me that was the most offensive, horrible thing anybody had ever said to him. And then he, what was that? About? And I'm just wondering, like meeting what we now know as Santos in person, like what, what was your impression of him just as a human being? He seemed fake. Yeah. Um, the first time I spoke to him on the phone. And he's a he's a really young guy. So at the time. He's he in was his mid-30s probably, or something now. I think he was in his mid-20s back yeah, then. Yeah, which is kind of interesting in itself, right? That that's who's helping you out. A, a guy that young, too. It might seem a little bit strange, right? I didn't so. know. Yeah, and he looked really young in his Facebook uh, pictures. Because we were friends while we were raising the money on the fundraiser. Um, and I wound up blocking him and everything at the end because, you know, I was just so ticked off at the whole situation. Uh, but he used like a picture where he looked like he was probably about 20, 18, 19, 20 or something like that for his Facebook picture. So that was why I never really recognized him when he first started showing up on the news. Um, but we went back and forth for about two, three, four weeks arguing and arguing and arguing. He started telling me things like, oh, well, I'll come and pick up the dog and take it to the vet myself, but you're not coming around. You're not coming along. Uh, we're to... Um, we help out animals in need, not needy owners. 
And then he said in another text somewhere that, um, don't forget, it was our 501c3 that got you the money faster. And that, you know, we're, but you didn't get any money, right? You didn't get any money. Yeah. You didn't get anything. Um, and that was all lying. He was never a 501c. Um, he was just pocketing everything. I think he, he might have helped a few animals here and there. God knows, just to keep his thing, his scam running, so he seemed a little bit more legitimate. I'm sure I'm not the only one that he did something like this, too. Hey, hope you guys are enjoying this interview with Richard Ostoff, uh, Navy veteran. Man, I thought this was a mind-blowing interview. The fact that I was able to get him to come in studio, and I didn't even have to like pull him to do it in any way. He wanted to come in, and I love doing in-studio interviews, and I really felt like this was a mind-blowing interview, and hopefully it gets some attention in outside media outlets. I would think it would because everybody is hearing about all the stuff with George Santos, but I haven't really heard a long-form interview like this with Richard Ostoff. So once again, Richard, thank you for coming in. Thank you to all you guys for checking this out. And uh, before we continue, I got to let you know about who keeps us going, who keeps Battleline Podcast doing what we do, and of course, Bub's Naturals, the best collagen protein out there. They also have their apple cider vinegar gummies, the MCT oil powder, and now they have Bub's Brew as well, their own coffee. So Bub's gives back 10% to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which is helping the families of veterans, and for those who don't know, Glenn Bub Doherty, who passed away in Benghazi, Navy SEAL. Bub was an adventure seeker, a river guide, skier, Ironman competitor, fitness fanatic, chef, gardener, handyman, and an epic storyteller. Saved lives, and he was the life of the party and became a best friend to all who knew him. And that spirit lives on in Bub's Naturals. Check out their stuff. It's bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE and you're going to get 20% off. That collagen protein is what you're going to need for workout recovery. It's also great for hair, skin, nails, and collagen. That's the building blocks of the body. That's what helps keep you young, keep your joints and all that moving. So check it out, bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. It's something myself and Tonto constantly use and we recommend it to everyone whether they're working out or looking to get over an injury, it's something you're going to need. And also, every show, of course, is sponsored by our friends at Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact and soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammo was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters and shooters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest in the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of that trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, but you can use our discount when you go to fsm.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE and you're going to get 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. And now, back to the exclusive interview with Navy veteran Richard Ostoff. So what happened? He just went off the grid completely after a certain right. amount of time? We, we, we'd argued back and forth on the phone a few times, and then he just wouldn't answer my calls or anything anymore. Uh, 
I didn't know what to do. You know, the dog's dying. And I, I didn't have the money to pay for it. So I have a friend, uh, Michael Bowl, who, who, who runs the New Jersey Veterans Network. It's a, um, a suicide prevention uh, and outreach program, a mentor outreach program uh, to help vets in need. Uh, and I'd, I'd known him for a few, a few months at that point. Um, and he helped, he's helped me out a lot. He got me a bike to get back and forth to work. Um, he's given me clothing. Uh, he, he actually just a couple of weeks ago paid my, my current dog's vet bills, uh, so that I can get another dog, uh, from North Shore Animal League. They had to have all their, uh, booster shots and stuff taken care of. But I, I went to Michael and I said, look, man, he's, he's a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, and he's also a retired Union Township police officer and, um, running a charity, I figured, you know, he can help me out, talk to this guy, talk some sense into him, see what we can do. And he didn't want to hear from him either. He stonewalled him and pretty much told him to go F himself. Uh, he said the, dog's, the dog is not treatable, so the money's going on to another animal in need. And, and these are personal friends of yours donating some of this. Right. Story. Almost yeah. all of them were. Wow. I mean, I had it on my Facebook page and everybody that I was friends with on Facebook pretty much shared it. And I mean, some of them I didn't know by name. I think yeah. they were a friend of a friend. But they of a weren't friend. donating to uh, some animal they never no. heard of. No, yeah, they, so. they all knew who I was. It was people I went to grade school with and Navy buddies and family and friends and stuff. So I told him in uh, November 16th, I, I, I posted, uh, this was back in 2016. I posted, I was like, I said something to the effect of we were scammed by Anthony DeVolder and Friends of Pets United um, due to subterfuge regarding payment and some other stuff. Uh, Sapphire is not getting her treatment because we don't have the money and she's going to have to be euthanized within a few months. And that was what I say, October. I think it was in February. Uh, I finally had to have her euthanized because that thing just sucked the life out of her. Wow. When it started growing, I watched the, the, the fur on her face start turning white whiter and whiter and whiter and it was taking her all of her uh uh her energy away it turned her old like in a couple of weeks a couple of months um yeah yeah you had to do what you had to do yeah so one day I, I she just wouldn't even get up anymore and i think i went to work that day thinking about her the whole time like oh my god i hope she's all right she's laying on the floor probably peeing on herself because she can't move so the next day i had a friend come pick me up and we went to an emergency veterans uh, veterinary uh hospital and i had to have her put down um and i didn't even have the money to do that i i, I had to, a couple of weeks notice i knew that she was going down fast so i started when i wasn't at work i started panhandling to get some money faster to have her euthanized and cremated i got a few hundred bucks for that i think it was six hundred dollars altogether uh i got about four or four hundred and fifty bucks and i finally i was like i called my mom and we weren't really getting along at that point and i was like look ma this dog i can't watch her suffer on the floor anymore uh can you give me the last couple hundred bucks i need to, to to have the dog put down and she sent it to me right away she i don't remember how she sent it we didn't have venmo and stuff that back then but yeah yeah so i had to go and have my little baby put down because you know, people wouldn't help her or people helped her but the one person that was in yeah. control of all the, the funds that people helped was just being a, a shit did you get a second dog immediately because you said uh three weeks later Okay. One of my Navy buddies, uh, Eric Rasmussen, he was a Navy chief. He was in avionics tech also. Uh, he was in my first command with me. Nice. Um, I haven't seen him in almost 20 years, but we speak almost on a weekly basis. He uh, he lives in North Carolina. <clears throat> excuse me. And <clears throat> he's involved with a pet rescue uh, called Forever Home or Forever Friends Home Rescue. And uh, he saw that I needed a dog. I mean, I was falling down on my knees, crying in the shower, thinking about her. I was going to work, and I, 
I was cutting meat to make sandwiches, and I'd be like crying all over the slicer and stuff. I, I couldn't even sell the sandwiches I was trying to make. Uh, so he, he he was like, look, he's like, I think we got another uh, little buddy for you here. Uh, she's another little red pit bull girl, and her name is Hurdy Ruby. So I, I'd had a sapphire hmm. and an and a emerald at that point. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, right, that's my dog. That's cool. So the, within a couple of weeks, <clears throat> they had a ride scheduled to bring her up from Virginia Beach to New Jersey for me. And uh, she was a timid little thing. <laughs> for, even though she was a pit bull, she was really scared. Somebody had abused the hell out of her for mm. the first year or two of her life. So um, it was another rescue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I only get rescues. I mean, there's so yeah. many dogs in, 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 True. in shelters and stuff. And I always get pit bulls because they're overloaded with pit bulls. And, and I mean, and they got the cutest little faces on them. They're just so <laughs> expressive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I need a strong dog that can sense when I'm going crazy, when I'm starting to get a, when I'm a mood swing or something like that, or when I'm having a nightmare, they can put their weight on me and let me know that, you know, you've got to stop what you're doing. I'm here. Pay attention to me. And that's usually all it takes. That's cool. I can't yeah, have dogs a, are amazing. I can't have a little dog because they don't they can't get my attention like that. <laughs> and on eighty pound pit bull, they they get on top of your chest. You you know they're there. Yeah. No, dog dogs are incredible. So I the crazy thing about Santos, right, and about this whole story, uh, and that blows my mind, right, is the lack of vetting, the fact that he got to the point that he has now. So I live in his district, right? And he ran against, I believe it was Swazi. The first uh, time he did in 2020. I don't yeah, know who he ran yeah. against this last time. Yeah, no, it was it was someone who people hadn't really heard of before, right? Because it was a new yeah. Swazi, I think, was running for uh, for governor or something. I believe uh, this shows like how little I, I you know, I'm like everybody else who got duped by who is this guy? You know what I mean? Because it's like I don't follow everything so closely, um, and I you know I didn't know much about the guy, but I do remember him running. And I feel like when he ran in 2020, he didn't have this whole backstory because um, I did see his campaign stuff. And he was just like, I'm a young Latino. I've worked in finance and I love Trump was like his whole thing. And then two years later or whatever it would be. Yeah. Two years later at the, or three years later, you know, he had this whole backstory. So the thing that's just interesting to me, it's like. Was he not on your radar as he was running? And then all these other people have come out with all these lies. Like, how did none of this break the surface while he ran for Congress for a second time? Uh, I just, That's the mind-blowing part about it to me. And also, it's like, if any of this was out, the Republicans would know right away, we can't run this guy. And if the Democrats were to hear this before the Republicans did, they'd be like, we have a field day. We could run amazing campaign ads. We could have you in a campaign ad talking about your George Santos story. Like, how did all of this come out after all the voters got duped and this guy gets in office? You know, that is a really strange thing. I think a lot of it had to do with using two names. He did all the crooked, evil stuff in his past as Anthony DeVolder. And now he thinks he's going to have a clean slate with George Santos. And it worked for a little while. But you didn't. So you say how he was younger at the time. You didn't. And you're in New Jersey. So you might not have seen as many campaign ads. I had not seen anything about him until he was on like CNN and stuff in December after he had won and all the lies were coming out. And even then I didn't recognize him because he's probably about 50, 60 pounds heavier than he was than when I saw him on the Facebook uh, page. I knew I knew the guy from somewhere. I just couldn't put a finger on it. And it wasn't until in the beginning of January, he had a stream of reporters following him around outside the front of the Capitol. And one of them asked him, Is your George, are you George Santos today or are you Anthony DeVolder? <laughs> 
Yeah. So I called Mike Bowl up instantly. Where did they, where did they hear the name Anthony DeVolder? Because it must have been something not related to. It your, wasn't related to yeah. mine at all. No. So I, I went back into my phone and I'm looking. I'm like, is that that guy? I know it was something like that. That name sounds familiar. So I looked it up. All those texts from six years ago were still in my phone. Almost shit. <laughs> I called Mike Bowl, uh, my my mentor. I called him right away. I was like, you remember this guy? You remember what happened? And I was like, yeah. Watch the news. That's him. You must have been like, it must have been an insane moment. Like you're probably shaking. When it first happened and he disappeared off the radar, I wanted to press charges against him. And we couldn't find him. I I tried to go through GoFundMe. All they could do was block his name and uh, email address for any further accounts. Um, And I went to law law enforcement. I went to, I, I called the cops. I think it was New York City police. And I also called my local police in Howell, New Jersey. And nobody could find him. They had no idea who this guy was. So... The money just flew away. You're saying prior. Prior, back in six years. Yeah. And it wasn't until this January I saw him on TV and I was like, my God. And we still don't even, I I don't, I could be wrong on this. We don't even know if George Santos is his legal name or do we? It's, I think all four of those names, it's like George Anthony Santos DeVolder or something like that. Wow. He uses them all. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, when I, I I get back to that other, that other dog that I had when, when I got the new dog. Yeah. Um. I was living with a friend, and after a few weeks of having her there, he was abusing her. I could tell as soon as his truck or his motorcycle would roll into the driveway, she would start shaking and she'd pee herself. I was like, I got to get the hell out of this place. Uh, So I moved out, and I was homeless again for a few more months. It was a nicer weather at that point in time, but uh, I would have rather been homeless in a tent than live with somebody that's abusing my dog. Yeah. Uh, And then not too much later, uh, a friend of a friend had a, a house in Freehold that was opening up. Um, and I, I've been, been living in this house ever since. And he, the, the guy who owns the house and his family have become really, really close personal friends of mine. I consider them family now. Uh, I work with him. He gives me employment. Um, if I miss rent for a couple of months or even more sometimes, I, I had hernia surgery and I was out of work for almost a year. He doesn't kick me out. He's like, well, you can work it off when you get better. It's, it's in a really, really good situation. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I've, I've been in that house now, and I, I actually, I was there maybe about a year and a half, and a friend of a friend said, hey, uh, I know somebody who's got another dog that they can't keep because they're in a condo, and the condo management can't have a pit bull. She's only about a year old. Uh, do you want her? And I was like, you know what? The dog that I have now, when I leave the house, she's got such bad separation anxiety. She's chewing on the walls. She's chewing on my doorknob. She's ripping my sheets and stuff <laughs> apart. So I got I got my new little diamond, her name was. So now I've had an emerald, a sapphire, a ruby, and a diamond. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I haven't had a chewed up doorknob or a wall since. This is – so you mentioned the North Shore Animal League thing. Was that is that a third dog? That's, that's is... going to be a third one. Do you think that's – because I just wonder, like, from your perspective, is that good for you to have that many dogs? Because, that I mean, the, pay, the the amount of money that goes into that, food for all three dogs, if, God forbid, another hospital type of issue happens, I mean – I'm wondering from your, you know, financial perspective, if it makes sense. I can't turn down the offer that I got from North Shore. Yeah. I was listening to Howard Stern three weeks ago after my story broke and uh, Beth Ostrowski, his wife, came on. Yeah. And now Beth Stern. So. Beth Stern. <laughs> Beth, Beth, Stern, Beth o. Stern, I think yeah, they yeah. call her. Uh, and, and, and they started talking about this Bella the Pig story about a pig they were trying to rescue. I did hear about that. That was yeah. so sad. Um, and then, it is, but it's it's that's also kind of like... It's an interesting one, right? Because of the fact that 
most people in America are eating pigs, and I know they're very intelligent animals, but people are going to be less sympathetic to that than I think like your story. It's just how we are. in somebody's bed with them. Uh, and yeah, stuff, it's just it's just a culture thing. So, so she also asked Howard. She was like, "Well, can we talk about that veteran, the veteran that got uh, scammed by Santos?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's a common story. It's out there. Everybody knows yeah. about it." So she was like, "Oh, good." Um, She's like, we at North Shore, we're looking for him. If anybody knows him, knows how to get in contact with him or anything, uh, we'd like to get him another dog, another puppy. That They know. probably didn't know you two already. <laughs> I don't think they did. Um, but my other dog, my oldest one, she's about nine years old now, and she's probably not going to be with me for too much longer. Yeah. She's blind now. Um, and she was too timid to be trained up as a service dog anyway from the beginning sure. just because she had been abused. Uh, the, the, the younger one that I have now, she's about five um, and she's just, she still acts like she's five months. She's just, a, <laughs> she's too crazy to train. So I really could use a dog about a year, two to three years old that can be right into a training thing. So I can actually have one that knows how to react to me when I'm having my, my, my breakdowns or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I called North Shore right after I heard that on the radio and they got back to me by, I think about 10 o'clock that morning. Um, and they gave me such a good offer. They said, look, from what you've been through, we don't do this for anybody, but you know, you're a disabled vet. Your story broke everyone's hearts in this office. We're willing to uh, give you a, 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 another dog, uh, adoption fees waived, free lifetime veterinary care, and we'll also give you drastically reduced veterinary care for the two dogs that you have currently. And with one dog that's nine years old now, that that I, there's no way I could turn that down. Yeah. Absolutely no way. And one more little heart in my life to love me and to love back. <laughs> A little bit more food isn't going to break the bank. North Shore Animal is a, a great organization, too. It's actually right by where I grew up. I grew up in Manhattan, and then I lived in Port Washington. And That's um, where they are, right? Port yeah, Washington. Yeah, Port Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's like, the, I think, the largest no-kill shelter. They're like, known worldwide. Like in the country, right? They've got affiliates, I think, in every state, too, that yeah. they work with. Yeah, they're amazing. I mean, if I were to get another dog, I, th- I think I would go there. It's been many years since I've had a dog, but at least for me, I need to be kind of like more stable at least for with, with what i'm doing right now i do a lot of like part-time stuff like this and my other podcasts um because it's it's a big responsibility and and that's also why so many of these older dogs end up in shelters because people don't realize the responsibility yeah. and they have a dog a few years or in some cases a few months and they're like i can't handle this and they, and they don't they, know how you, to train a dog so they think that. it's a bad dog or something like yeah, that and you can't do that to a no, dog no the dog's gonna learn how to behave itself eventually they want to learn from you yeah they know that when they do things that you want them to do you pet them and you praise them and they want that did you ever think of, go- of, wor- of going into working with animals? Because you obviously have a passion for it. I wouldn't mind it. I never thought about it, but I yeah. wouldn't mind it. You'd probably be perfect for you. But so what do you think is going to happen to Santos here? Because it's one of those strange things. I understand how politics is, and I understand how, like, just the, the, the two-party system is a mess, and I talk about it all the time. And I know we're not going to get into politics and all that. And but the, the right and the left are both getting so much further and further sure. away from and, each other. And the Republicans on their end, uh, what, they, what I think sometimes people don't realize is these people in Congress, all they are is a vote. And it's like they're going to vote with us, so we need a guy in that seat who's going to vote with us to get some bills over the top to pass some things that we want. And if we have a Democrat in that seat, it's going to screw up everything for us. I'm sure if it wasn't such a like such a polarized two party system, and they were just using their ethics, they would go, "We got to get this guy out of here. This doesn't look good." But I I'm think if they if had more than a four seat majority, if they had fifteen or twenty seat majority, yeah. it would be a totally different story too. So I wonder if they're like 
plotting the perfect time to get this guy out because more and more stuff is compounding. And and like the weird thing is, is like what he did to you, there's some type of criminal motive for of uh, I, I'm going to get cash. But so many of the other stuff he did is the type of guy who's just a compulsive liar who lies about stuff that has no bearing on anything and isn't going to help him in any way. Like when he says, I produced Spider-Man on Broadway, <laughs> like <laughs> it's not going to help your political career. The biggest no. Broadway flop ever, by the way. <laughs> That's true. Because there were all those injuries. I remember, like in the Actors theater, were with... falling out of the air and landing in the in the in the audience and hurting. Yeah, people. I remember. I remember <laughs> that. That was that was a weird time, man. So it was weird that he even uh, mentioned that. But yeah, I wonder what's going to happen to this guy. Like, does he? Ev- is this the type of thing where he eventually winds up in jail? Uh, it's it's kind of odd. I wasn't going to bring this up, but it's odd that I'm wearing a New York Islanders hat because. I don't know if you remember. Are you a hockey guy at all? I'm like my devils. So okay, well, I figure from, you're from New Jersey. <laughs> but do you ever see that thirty for thirty on John Spano, the owner of the Islanders? No. So he was like he was George Santos before there was he was there was George Santos. He owned the Islanders for a short period of time, and he claimed to be this like millionaire, had all this money, and it turned out it was all a lie. He wasn't worth nearly that, and he had to write checks to the NHL, and like he'd have to write a check for three hundred thousand dollars, and he. He'd write a check for $3,000 and they'd be like, it's missing a few zeros here. And he'd be like, I don't know what went wrong. And, and he'd be buying time until all these lies compounded and he eventually wound up in jail. And this guy was a career criminal because once he got out of jail for that, he worked for another company, was stealing money from that company, went to jail. And I know he's currently in jail. Yeah. So I'm wondering like how this Santos story ends. Is it going to end with him in jail for something he did? Because more and more stories are coming out. I figured we'd heard all of them, but like by the day, there's more things coming out. Like, is it gonna week. is it gonna end with him no longer in Congress? It has to. Yeah, it has to. But what does he do then? Does he does he just he does says, he kind of wind up in the scenario you were in, where he's out in the streets? Like, what happens to this guy? It's gonna be you know behind four walls, I think, at one point in time. Uh, he either needs to be in jail or in a mental hospital. Yeah, because there's obviously not something right with him, but. Above all, he needs to sit in a room for a while, a couple of years, and think about what he did. And he doesn't the, – the lack of remorse and also the lack of any shame. Like I have even seen on his Twitter that how um, John Lovitz did the impression of him on, on SNL. And anyone else would be like, let me just not talk about this. You know, most people wouldn't have done what Santos did. But he's tweeting John Lovitz saying like that was a horrible impression of me. And I think he still thinks he's like – a celebrity to some extent, and he is because we're talking about him. But like, this isn't what you should want to be known no, for. No, you're infamous, and not you know, it, not famous. Exactly, and I think in his mind, this is he proved that that you could fake your way to the top. And I'm wondering if the thing that's going to fuck him is going to be how his campaign funding, because that seems to be the big thing. He had to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. $700,000. Yeah, to campaign. And we don't know where that money is. Russian oligarch. And that's another thing that he's laughed off. Like he's gone on, I think, with Matt Gates, and he said, like, well, I know I'm not getting it from like Ukraine and China or like Joe Biden mm-hmm. or, you know, but like we haven't heard where that money came from or why he we got will. that money. Yeah. yeah, it makes you wonder too. Like we had this guy, um, Corey Lanus, on the podcast before. He goes by a call sign because he he's done hacking for the U.S. government. He's a guy I know who's actually a Navy veteran as well. Um, but he's he's spoken about how like the reason China or Russia will sometimes fund candidates is not necessarily because they love those candidates. It's they want to create a distrust in the system. They want to disrupt the system. Yeah, and maybe. 
they would have funded a guy like this to prove like, hey, your democracy, the way you run things over there. Exactly. Yeah. You don't vet anyone. And it's like, man, I've had like maybe one time in my life of doing radio where I've been duped by a fake CIA guy. I've, I've talked about it for this guy, Wayne Simmons. But, and and the reason I was was because he had like quotes on his book from major people that we see on TV, generals, um, and and he seems completely legit. But I do my due diligence when I have people on. Chris, you know, is not here. Like he does his due diligence when we have people on. I don't know how you get to that level that you dupe the Republican Party, get into Congress, and now you are a congressman. It's it's mind-blowing to me, especially the stuff that he didn't go to the college he said he did, that he didn't work at all the places he did because— Goldman it, Sachs and yeah, Citibank and— But, like, to me, that could have been resolved in a day. If you gave me that resume and and I you and I own some, a corporation or something— I'm making some phone And calls. you wanted to work for me, yeah, I would have called. Did this person ever work here? What did they do here? Did this person graduate that college? I mean, I'm pretty sure if I gave someone my resume and I say I went to Hofstra University, I worked for SiriusXM, it would be pretty easy to verify all that. I don't understand this whole thing. It's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, if you were working somewhere else and they turned out a couple of weeks later that your whole entire resume was BS, you're on the road. Screw you. Get out of here, liar. Absolutely. And, and like, we're not making as much money as Congress people are. He's making almost 200 grand a year. Yeah. Now and he's not even on committee assignments, so he's doing nothing. He's earning a free paycheck, sitting on his laurels, doing not a damn thing. And, you know, in my opinion, what many of them are doing, you know, Republican and Democrat, and we hear about it all the time, is, like, they're on the inside of what's going on with businesses, and almost all of them are doing insider trading. That's not really insider trading because it's legally not insider trading. And he's the type of guy who's probably going to get in on that and make a ton of money. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, no one in Congress is going to want to, like, co-sponsor a bill with this guy. They're not going to want his name attached to anything. Marjorie Taylor Greene just did yesterday. They did? I, I didn't even mm -hmm. know about that. Get into it then. I didn't know about it. I don't even remember what it was. I, just, I was reading it on the way here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of her by any stretch, but it's like even her, I would think, who has like, I would think her resume is at least what it says it is, you know? Why would you want to wind yourself with someone who we know their whole identity is why? Tying an albatross around your neck. He's a big, fat, bespectacled <laughs> uh, albatross. Do you think we're going to see a congressional hearing and like you're going to be out there and maybe like get a chance to get your due and like we what do you say like i asked you before like what do we ultimately see happen well I, I was first contacted like the day after my story broke after jacqueline sweet's uh story broke in the news uh the very next day the new york uh state uh general uh, attorney general had contacted me um and i gave them my whole story and then it moved up from there now i'm talking to the uh well I, last week i spoke to the fbi about it uh so they're working on it uh, and they're, they're, it's all rolling up into the whole big ball of everything that he's done so far. Uh, I mean, he treated me so badly back there six years ago. It dehumanized me. It made me feel like a piece of garbage. Uh, and just talking to law enforcement about it has really made me feel a hell of a lot better. It makes me That's feel great. validated. Like, you know, you're not a piece of garbage, Rich. You know, you have a right to be upset about this. And, you know, we're going to help you. Does it seem like when you say you spoke to law enforcement, does it seem like they're stacking things up and piling like a case against this guy? They told me that they, they would call me back if they needed any more information. They, they needed to straighten some stuff out. Uh, text messages and stuff that I sent them came in out of order. Okay. 
but they said they had got their hands so full right now that it might take them a few weeks to get back to me. Yeah. It, it, it's personal. I don't know if they meant they had their hands full with him, but they just yeah, said they had their hands Yeah, I mean, full. it's personal to me, too, because I've said it on the show. Like, this is my congressman. And I think being from, like, New Jersey and being from Long Island and at least following politics on some extent my whole life and probably your whole voting life, like, there's always – that clown in Congress from some other state, you know, like you mentioned a Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you're like, who who are these fucking idiots who voted for this person? And it's a weird thing when, like, the number one most embarrassing person in Congress is your district, and, like, you know my district. Like, it's an affluent area. It's, like, a very well, like, yeah, more Oyster people. Bay and stuff up there, right? Yeah, more people. Uh, I, I'd have to check that. I know, but it's it's There's mansions everywhere. Washington, six, seven Queens. acres. Yeah, and and um, I mean, more people. You mentioned nine eleven. More people from my town died in nine eleven than I believe any other town, at least in New York, because it's all these people who work in Wall Street who commute from Manhattan, Port Washington, Great Neck into the city. The, the hedge fund people, people like that, my parents knew, like Chris Quackenbush, who I knew, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that we voted this guy in, <laughs> and. I think I think as a whole, like this district is really embarrassed. And I know that overwhelmingly people are saying th- this guy needs to be removed from office. And from what you're saying, even more than that, he needs to go to jail. He just uh, Jacqueline Sweet, the, the, the reporter who actually took my whole story down. And she's been breaking a lot of stuff about this guy. She lives right up there in Long Island, too. So, you know, she she's she's a. An expert that I, I guess a reluctant expert on him now. Um, she just broke another story the other day about him stealing fifteen thousand dollars worth of puppies from Amish breeders, and then having a puppy um, adoption event somewhere in Staten Island, like the very next day. He's getting three, four hundred bucks a piece for these puppies and stuff. Wow! So he went out to Amish country, wrote bad checks to these these Amish purebred breeders, and then bounced the checks. They never got their money, and then he went and made extra money off these dogs the next day at a at, a, at an adoption event. And I don't think the owner of the pet store got any of the money either. There was something weird about writing a check to him, and, and, and instead of writing it out to F- Friends of Pets United, he wanted it written out to Anthony DeVolder instead. And then he crossed out Friends of Pets United when the guy gave him the check, and he wrote his name in there, and the bank accepted it anyway. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I, you probably saw, even on the um, the statement he wrote about your story— even his statement, he wrote stuff wrong. Did you see how he said? Everything I have, uh, is a typo. It's not a typo. It, yeah, it I mean, you're a congressman. And- but, but it was like, it was, uh, and Chris said it on the show we mentioned, like maybe a Freudian slip where he said, I'm trying to think of what he wrote because he said, I've, instead of like rescued, he used a different word, or uh, right? He said something about saved 2,400 dogs and 800 cats or something like that. I don't yeah, know if that's I'd, the same thing you're talking I'd about. I'd have to find, yeah, but he used a word that um, I'd have to look at the tweet again. I'd have to find it. But but basically, it was the it was the wrong word to use. And yeah, I don't think he saved any animals. I don't, you know, I think everything in this guy's life is a lie. Uh, everything from his mom dying in 9-11 when she wasn't even in the country to the drag queen stuff His family surviving the holocaust yeah and and uh and it's also look i mean i know this uh, is different than the other things we're tar- talking about but it it's definitely sketchy the fact that he was married to a woman then he comes out as gay 
needed yeah. a green card so he didn't have to go back to Brazil and face the music there for the stolen checks. You think that's what it is? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes so me easy even to wonder, is, is he a gay man? Is he, uh, is he not? I mean, I don't know. Everything is a lie, so it's very hard to know. He was putting on that voice, if, it's, if it even is put on, that, that whole affected voice that he has. Uh, back in 2006 when I spoke to him on the phone, the whole spiel he gave me on the phone about, oh. Was he married like, to a woman? or I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I, I only spoke to him the three times. Um, he gave me this whole spiel at one time on the phone. When I, the first, like, hi, how are you doing? Get to know you sort of a yeah. thing. And it was, oh, I rescued, I helped rescue all these dogs and cats and horses. And he rolls his eyes to emphasize stuff. And then he says, oh, and I even had eight baby jumping goats. And he looks away <laughs> like he's, you can tell he's lying. He's like looking to that one side of his brain where he's full of shit. Yeah. And he says, I rescued eight baby jumping goats in my car. And that was, that was on, when I was on uh, 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 CNN the first time with Aaron uh, Burnett. They played something right before she started questioning me, and he was saying that exact same thing on a pre-recorded interview, the exact oh, wow. same spiel he gave me over the phone. It was rehearsed. He had her script. He was going on his whole con man script. Just extra nice, extra, I want to call it flirtatious almost. Yeah. Um, just to suck me in and get me to believe him, you know, his whole story. I wonder if, I wonder if he's starting to feel the heat, man, because... Uh, and maybe he gets off on it, as you said, but it's like everywhere he goes now, it's microphones in his face. I heard that he like locked himself inside the office. That's uh, in Queens. Swazi's office. Yeah, it yeah. still says Swazi. I've, I've driven by there. My friend actually lives right on that same road. In Douglaston. You know? Yeah, in Douglaston. His apartment's in Douglaston. So yeah, it still says Swazi on the building, but I think he might be starting to feel the pressure because there's no way that this guy doesn't walk down the street now and get yelled at by everyone people are pissed saw him a couple of weeks ago getting off uh i think it was in LaGuardia or jfk you said did you see him or are you saying you saw it no it was on, this was on the news yeah i saw that and he had yeah. some just random joe screaming at him con artist yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got to be getting, he's that, probably getting that out yeah exactly mm -hmm. he's probably getting that everywhere but maybe he likes it maybe he likes being yeah, a attention villain. is attention yeah you know just to, to a narcissist it doesn't matter if it's bad or good attention i think yeah so what's important to you is like just getting this because I was very happy that when I originally called your father, because he was the Richard Oz stuff that I found and then got me in touch with you, you know, that you were like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go in studio. Like, what's important? You getting the word out as much as possible that people know this, that because I, I think probably when it was just the first few lies piling up, there were a lot of people who felt like, who really cares? Everyone in Congress lies. I'm not surprised. But as things get more and more over the top, we realize, like, no, this isn't like a lie that politicians tell where there's something based in reality and they blow it up. Like, this is a guy whose entire life is built off a resume that is entirely false and, and who screwed people over in the process. And I'm sure we're going to hear other people come out like you who maybe in time might live in other states who he's not on their radar and then they might be putting the piece together. Maybe someone will hear this interview and go, I, I remember working with Anthony DeVolder who lost all this money for me. So yeah, what's, so. what's your purpose of this? Pretty much I'm doing this for my, my, my baby Sapphire. Um, she didn't die in vain. This guy's got to go. And if her story helps, get him out of where he doesn't belong. She's in heaven right now looking down and she's, she's got her tail wagging, I think. <laughs> um, 
and I, I, if I didn't come forward with this, I wouldn't be able to sleep sleep at night. I wouldn't be able to live yeah. with myself because if I didn't bring this to the forefront and people didn't know that he does stuff like this, he might just continue doing it. Yeah. Uh, like I said before, you know, he he's a danger to our country. He's he's writing laws and stuff now. Like I said, I'm not wearing a uniform anymore, but I can still defend this country. Yeah. I've got a voice. Um, and I'm not going to let, I'm not going to be silent about this. Uh, I, and I really don't like doing all this. I don't like the attention. I'm a very introverted guy. I haven't had a girlfriend in 14 years. Um, rarely, rarely have people at my house. It's just me and the dogs. Uh, very solitary. So being out here in the spotlight, doing all these interviews and stuff, having cameras in my face all the time, it makes me swoon sometimes. It just like <laughs> dizzies me and... I mean, this is a very common interview. Yeah, that's why I was even and, telling you. I, I, this is as I casual as it gets. I didn't I think, sleep last so. night, even though I knew it was going to be Which is funny like, to me because, yeah, people, and I've heard that before, and it's so funny because I've interviewed so many guys who, I mean, they're open about it, have either killed in combat or been shot in combat, and it's like they're nervous to do an interview. And I don't know. For, for me, this is, I've, I think, because I've done it for so long, but also I would feel the same way as you if it's like, the type of thing where you're talking about possibly going on Chris Cuomo, which I know that that fell through, but just as an example. Yeah. And you have someone in your ear going like, we got to be out in 10 seconds. And I, I like doing this long form stuff because I learned so much about you and just reading the article. Yeah. I don't know why you were homeless at that time. And and I don't know what took you. A lot so of people think forward. that a homeless person is homeless because they're alcoholic, drunk, you know, yeah. or, or a drug addict or something like that. And they, they, they don't realize that people can, be hard workers, break a leg, break an arm, dislocate something, and they're out of work and they get evicted. It, it happens. It could happen to anybody. And the amount of veteran homelessness, too. I feel like there's there's veterans who really like transition and they thrive and some of them build multi-million dollar companies. And then there's a lot of veterans who have a lot of trouble transitioning. Um, I mean, we've had veterans on the podcast before who are like brilliant writers who have gone on to write New York Times bestsellers. And they say when they got out of the military, like they couldn't even drive like delivery for Domino's because people look at the resume and they go, you're overqualified, but they yeah, can't find yeah. anything. So I, I either got that or I couldn't deal with the people I was working with, you know, being military and having to follow a set of rules a certain way for a few, for a number of years. And then you work with some civilians, especially some like 16, 18 year old kids who just don't care. It, I used to get pissed. I mean, I'd throw stuff around and part of the PTSD and stuff too. I just storm out of a job and quit just because everybody else sucks. You know? And then, and then also some of those kids just don't know how to speak to veterans in that I've had so many guys speak come to on adults. before. Yeah, but but veterans in particular, I've had a lot of guys come on before where, and sometimes it's adults who will, hey, how many people did you kill? Like, is, and that is not whether you're a veteran who served in combat or not. Like, that is not the first thing they want to hear. So, yeah, that's not something cool to talk about. I know guys that have been in combat that have yeah taken that, and they don't want to talk about it either. And if they do, maybe it's a setting like this. Maybe it's a setting of just other veterans. Um, but yeah, in like a regular job setting, that's not what they want to be known for. Not somebody so. coming up, hey man, I heard you were in the Marines. How many guys did you kill? Did you ever tear anybody's ears off and wear them <laughs> around your neck? Yeah, they, yeah, they don't want to answer questions like that. Yeah. That's makes you feel like a heel, you know? <laughs> no, it's true. And, and and I think like people forget all the great things that guys do in combat, all the lives that they have saved, and also just all the stories I've heard of guys who 
have served in combat unlike you, but like they embed themselves in the culture. They do get to know children. And unfortunately the stuff that goes viral is like the veteran misbehaving and doing something completely terrible. And that's how it all gets painted. And that's, there's a lot to do with the polarization of everything. It's the same with like the story of a police officer who's helping people in the community. That's not going to go viral. It's the guy who's abusing his power. That's what goes viral. So the stuff that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, even like the congressman who's doing the right thing and passing great law, like George <laughs> Santos is going to get the attention mm-hmm. because it's like inflammatory and it's it's bizarre and wild. So, yeah, it's a but, circus act. Yeah, but in in this case, it's important people hear it because something does need to be done, and it's really unprecedented. I don't think there's ever been anyone in the history of this country who rose to these ranks off a completely fraudulent resume so and you know i've had a few people tell me uh that you know if he's going to do this to a a veteran and 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 a a service animal what else is he going to do he's going to go set fire to an orphanage so he can erect an oil rig or something there he's just he's like boss hog from the dukes of hazard or something he's a a super villain yeah not so super villain i should say yeah (laughs) well i i do hope we see the day that you get to confront this guy in person you know not physically or anything like that i hope that i get to sit on a witness stand and i'm pretty sure that day is going to come um he tore my heart out by 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 taking my best friend away from me uh she would have died eventually anyway, but if I would have had two or three more years with her, that would have given me time to get another dog before she passed away so yeah. suddenly and everything. What he did to me was, God, took that money that I thought I had, and it was like he just kept kicking me in the balls, even though I wasn't talking to him or seeing him or having any type of convert, you know, every single day that I w- looked, looked at my dog, looked at my little sapphire, and I knew there was nothing I could do to get her out of her pain and the uncomfortable uh, situation that she was in. Felt like I failed her, and it was just a kick in the balls every single time I came home from work and I saw her again, losing more and more of her mobility and stuff. I don't usually like to get people in trouble. I'm not a cop caller or anything like that. I know somebody calls the cops on me. I hate them for the rest of my life. <laughs> but what he did to me is deserving of my speaking up and getting law enforcement involved and everything. Uh, if he's going to do this to me, he's going to do it to anybody else. He has no remorse. No. He doesn't have any humanity. And if I if I'm the reason or part of the reason that he's let out of uh Congress in a pair of silver bracelets, <laughs> I'm gonna be a proud SOB. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. So uh wrapping things up here, man, any like public social media you could promote, anything, any websites you want people to go to or anything like that? Uh New Jersey Veterans Network, they could always use um uh, uh, donations and stuff. Uh, I think it's njvn.org. Uh, okay. Um, Michael Bowles, the founder, president. Um, there's been a lot of people offered me money personally. Uh, I don't, I don't want to take money from anybody. I'll take a dog from North Shore. For uh, the record, I did not offer money. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a dog from North Shore because that's something I need. That's part of my therapy and my, you know, that's good for my ongoing, um, uh, uh, mental health. I don't want money, um, and 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 New Jersey Veterans Network has helped me out so much already. Uh, in order to get the dog from uh, North Shore, they required that I had both of my dogs completely up to date on their vaccinations. So I brought them in last Friday, I think it was, to have that done. It was almost seven hundred dollars, 
And New Jersey Veterans Network paid it without even asking me, you know, without batting an eye. So if anybody wants to donate, if they have any any inkling to donate to me personally, I don't want that. Donate to New Jersey Veterans Network. Perfect. Or North Shore Animal or League. North Shore right? Animal League too. Yes. Yeah. Those definitely. Are, those are definitely both. They're, they're, thank you for bringing that up. They, like I said, they, they they offered me free veterinary care. Everything. I beautiful organization. I've been working with the, uh, a manager up there. Her name is Rachel. Um, this is like one of the most personal dog adopting experiences I think you could ever have. She wants it to be such a perfect, or the, the whole organization wants it to be such a perfect match for me and my other two that I have now. She's, she keeps calling me, do you want a dog like this? Do you want a dog like that? I mean, it's it's going to be the right dog. It's not going to be like, hey, we have a dog. You want it? Yeah. It's yeah. She's finding the right match. They're, 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 they're great. I've never, you I've might, never you seen You might go on Howard. That'd be cool. That would be cool. I was actually on Howard before I went into the Navy. It was, I'm and little, we didn't get into that? No, I'm a little embarrassed about it now because it was like a kind of juvenile thing to do. But, uh, you know, he always has these guys on that could fart on command and all that junk. <laughs> You're one of those guys? I, well, I, I, never, I, I wasn't in on the show. I, I called him up on the phone. And this was like three weeks before I went to boot camp in 98. And I was like, yeah, I can blow air up my ass with my air compressor and I can <laughs> fart on command. And he was like, oh, do it. So I did it. And they, yeah, they, they, that was like one of my last memories before I went in. <laughs> well, if you, if you were able to go back on with like something important, mm-hmm. that would be cool. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, if, if, if the guy gets out, like that's the, my one thing with Howard now, man, because I, I listened on the way here to the Mike Shinoda interview, which was really good. But like, dude, come in studio, man. Get back in studio. I, I, uh, he came in for Bruce. I know. I know. <laughs> That's the one thing that it's just like, dude, I mean, he's still a great interviewer. It's great. It's great hearing like that Mike Shinoda thing. But um, yeah, he's very weird with well, that. He's got the OCD and he's a germaphobe. Oh, I can yeah. understand it, you know, and but well, the, last time I was here, when I was in the other location, was when everybody was masked up and everything. And I do not miss that whole era. Like, this, this is either. nice. I, I mean, All of our interviews, for the most part, we do on Zoom. And it's great. I mean, it makes us be able to do this with Chris because he's in Kansas. But, like, to me, this is radio. And I don't get to do this often enough. So I actually – I'm really thankful you came in because I, I enjoy being in studio and, like, getting this, to this meet these people. I, it was fun for me too, man. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And, um, yeah, for the listeners, I'm sure there's, like, new people checking us out out who just heard about this story subscribe to us wherever you're listening um leave us a comment leave us a review if you're on apple podcasts or like it if you're on youtube um i just opened up and we talked about on the last show the battle line podcast vault we're doing like small merchandise runs we're going to do some more things as we uh carry along here but right now we have pins up they came out really good actually i have one on my backpack over there that i'm not going to grab but um yeah it's just battle line podcast dot etsy.com so like beyond supporting our sponsors and all that if you want to keep us going if you're someone who's listened to us for the past three years or you're just hearing this episode that stuff helps us really expand the podcast get great guests on like richard ostoff have us be able to do stuff in studio more often because we got to pay for that so you know all of that's important so check out battlelinepodcast.etsy.com and uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening. Chris is going to be out for a few shows. I'm going to tell you guys in advance. He's got like a ton of speaking engagements coming up. That's his priority. I mean, truly, like that's what pays the bills. And he loves doing it. So uh, it's just going to be me here interviewing uh, these next few episodes. And he'll be back in, I think, like three weeks from now. But uh, yeah, as always, new episodes up every Monday. Check us out, and Richard, really appreciate you coming in, man. I appreciate you having me. Uh, the more ears that I have to uh, pick up this story, the better. And and that's for any media outlets that hear this interview. Like, 
please write something from here and like pick it up and get it out in your media outlet. Like more and more people need to hear this beyond just people who know this show. So thank you. Thanks, guys. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoparanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.